a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Chaleos uh, off, well-deserved time off this weekend. Nice, by the way, to hear Adam Small uh, with the news on Saturday mornings. We'll keep you on top of that fire situation. Uh, it does sound like it's going to be a mess for a while. We had a lot of text this morning, uh, Ton, about uh, what the smoke was all yeah, about. I drove through there about 7 o'clock, and you could see a trail of smoke going from the east bench over Broadcast House. And I thought maybe the bench was on fire. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a problem as of now. So we'll try and keep tabs on that with uh, Adam's help this morning. We are live today at the Weber Basin uh, Water Conservancy District. Their annual garden fair is going on until 2 o'clock this afternoon with lots of great vendors. We've had quite a few people come by already this morning, which is fantastic. John Perry is with us, the assistant general manager here. Nice to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. It was fun during the uh, news to catch up on your uh, resume with uh, water, uh, Weber Basin. And among those things was raising the uh, dike level at uh, Willard Bay. Willard Bay, which I heard this week is at full pool for the first time in seven years, probably since that project. Probably, yep. We, we were able to fill it immediately after that uh, raise took place, and it's probably been a few years since. Yeah. Uh, but so many other things. You were having fun just uh, catching up with him here. Yeah, just a lot of things going on. I mean, I grew up in the area, so Willard Bay's kind of got a, I've got a soft spot for it in my heart. But, you know, just talking about everything going on here and collaboration with other conservancy districts and things. But it was a great conversation. Can we walk through some of the um, presentations that are going to be made today and maybe some times for people? I thought when we talked to Scott earlier, he was joking about a magic show, but I guess that's the way the morning kicks off. Yes, the morning it's the way the morning kicks off. So we will have a magician. He'll have several different events throughout the day. So it looks like 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 1 o'clock. So if you want something for your kids to come and see while you're looking at our garden and what you can do in your yard, uh, hit us up at those times. We're also going to have garden tours where you can take a look at all the different uh, water-wise vegetation, irrigation techniques that we we're asking people to implement and install in their yards just to be better stewards of this water resource that's so finite in our area. And then we've also got water treatment tours uh, at 10 o'clock and noon. So if you want to come and learn how your water is treated, how it makes it to you at the end of the faucet, and you can take a drink of that nice cold water, come and learn. One of the things I've always appreciated coming out here through the years, Ton, was uh, learning how to put water or plants that actually are like or similar with their water usage in the same area, which is something I'm going to guess most of us don't even think about. Hydrozoning. Hydrozoning. Thank you. Yes, and it is such an important principle because, you know, I even now I'll be driving around in a neighborhood and there will be a brand new, you know, complex of townhomes. You know, part of the perk is a landscaper landscapes for at least the front yard. Yeah. And they have put junipers next to dogwoods, which 
dogwoods are the shrubs they're a little bit water wise but they're not a juniper once established will survive on being watered once a month Mm. those dogwoods need watered about every seven days once established and so it just doesn't make a lot of sense and so when you come into these uh the the gardens here and other conservancy districts, you know, you know, conservation garden parks, another one. But when you come in here, they will show you what works well together. And when we talk water wise, you know, drought tolerant, people get in the, their mind, oh, cactus, you know, uh, cow skulls and, you know, no plants <laughs> anywhere. And it is the exact opposite. You would never know that they're using so little water yeah. on these gardens to keep them going. And what you end up doing, John, is throwing as much water as you as you can at the thing that looks most starved and you're killing the plant right next to it. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great point. The hydrozoning is critical in making sure that we're using it effectively, and you don't want to be overwatering one and underwatering another, so you got to be, be aware of those. Still, I would think when it comes to water conservation, it, it ends or begins and ends mostly with turf. We are in love with our turf here in Utah, and the more we can remove that and find other things to beautify the space, the better. Absolutely, and that's we're not opposed to turf. There's there's places for it. We certainly want green space for our communities, parks where it's efficiently managed and well maintained. Uh, but if you got areas in your lawn that uh, you're only going on there to mow it or to fertilize it or to water it, and you're not spending a substantial time out there, those are great opportunities to look for and see. Hey, what can I do differently? What can I put in there that's more water wise? Vegetation that still looks great, utilizes drip irrigation and things like that but will be much more water efficient. So along with the hydrozoning, native plants is the other thing that yeah. I really think is the yeah, biggest part. Yeah, native and adapted. There's been a lot of work with native plants over the last 10 or 15 years that are becoming much more available. You know, I've seen pinstamens in the gardens, and those are some of the most spectacular. There are many others. And then you've got a whole host of what we call adapted plants that are native to climates around the world similar to the arid west. And so there are a lot of plants native to the Sonoran Desert, the Mojave, even some areas of Mongolia that have a similar climate to us. And so we, once we're relatively certain they're not going to become invasive, those are also being incorporated into the modern landscape. And John, this is a great place to start with looking at some of those uh, that are mature and you can tell what they're going to look like someday in uh, your landscape and start making plans to change uh, your design in your backyard. Absolutely. Come on out here. We've got most of our plants labeled. We're working to get all of them labeled. They've got little QR codes where you can scan them and learn more about it. We're developing an app where you'd be able to uh, populate a list of plants that really interest you. So keep an eye on us. Come and visit today and come back in a few months. Things will be different and better, and we're constantly progressing. All right, and coming up at the top of the hour, that magic show, uh, 9.30, a garden tour, 10 o'clock, water treatment tour, a couple of things in the next hour or so. Phone lines are open. 801-575-8255 is the number to call. Uh, wide open right now, as a matter of fact. So let's grab a text, if we can, for you, Ton. Um, asking the question, is it okay to plant flowers or ground cover under a cherry tree? And if so, which ones? Well, a, flowers in and of themselves can be a ground cover. But if it's a permanent thing they're looking for, then ground cover would be my preference. I would maybe look for something like Vinca Minor or uh, Lesser Periwinkle is another name for it, little uh, periwinkle colored flowers in the spring, but nice evergreen foliage the rest of the year. 
There are others you could maybe try Plumbagos or Plumbago is another one that would work really well in the shaded area. But the ground covers, because they'll root more deeply, will be a little bit more amenable to the irrigation pattern the tree needs. And not compete with it at all? Well, they always will compete with it. When you have plants growing under your trees, whether it's turf or ground cover, you have them competing for nutrients. And so it's interesting. There's research in orchards where researchers have grown uh, fruit trees in turf situations and in bare ground and fertilized them and watered them equally. The trees in bare ground, because they're not competing for the nutrients, will grow twice as fast as a tree planted in turf. Wow. So there are some advantages, but the ground cover is going to not compete quite as heavily for the nutrients as a turf grass would. Mm. I have a tree both in the front yard and in the backyard that's planted right in the middle of the turf, and it's a major pain to keep the grass out of there. And then it's going to get watered every time your turf gets watered, which tends to be a problem. And fertilizing is also, it it really is a challenge, but I'm going to guess most people do that. Yeah, and and I'm not saying don't. It's just more of a challenge. And if you have areas that have bare ground or shrub beds, you know, those are the places to plant. But I'm heading over to one of the local nurseries after the show, buying two or three trees, and at least one of those will be going in a turf area. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's squeeze Eva in here. We've got uh, just a couple of minutes. Eva's in Spanish Fork. Eva, welcome on to the greenhouse. You have a snowball tree you had a question about. Yes. It's about four years old and about eight feet tall and just been absolutely covered with snowballs. And I'm wondering how it should be trimmed. Uh, I'd like it a little shorter also, but I'm, I'm not sure what to do with it right now. Well, are the snowballs done and declining for the season? Yes. So you can, I picked an awfully lot. Okay, them. good. So you can deadhead those off as soon as they start to turn brown. But when that, as soon as the bush is done flowering and those uh, flowers are brown, you're going to use a technique called renewal pruning to where you'll actually go down toward the middle of the shrub and find the biggest branches. And you're going to take about 20 to 25% of those branches out of the shrub and just work your way from the biggest down. So you're always taking the oldest branches out. What will happen is it will still look like a nice bush, and then you will have reduced the size by two or three feet. Oh, okay. So what you do, I do... do... Go ahead. Oh, do I do the same thing to my lilacs? Yes, absolutely. As soon as they're done blooming, trim the dead flower heads off, but go to the base of the lilac as close as you can get and just take 20 or 25% of the biggest branches out. Oh, okay. Yeah, if they're still a little out of shape, you can give them a really light haircut, but that will be far less needed using this technique than if you just went in and with some head shears and went at them. Oh, okay. All right. And then I have one other question. I have a lilac bush that is just doesn't seem to be growing as fast. It's, it's still only about four feet tall, and it's been in for, oh, maybe five years or six. And I think I just need to move it or something. Um, it, do you think it could stand to be moved at this it would I be killed if you tried to move it. You'll need to wait until late October to mid-November 
when it drops its oh, okay. leaves. And when it drops its leaves, you can dig it and get as much of the root ball as you can and move it to a new home. Eva, thanks for the call. We've got to move on, but we appreciate you. Okay. Uh, we appreciate you being out there. I see Brad and oh boy. Bart's still here. Bad Bart. <laughs> Bart wants to talk. Uh, we'll uh, check in with Bart and take your phone calls, 801-575-8255, when we come back on The Greenhouse. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to the KSL Greenhouse. Tim and Tom back together here. Maria's got the week off. We are at uh, the Weber Basin Water Conservancy District Gardens and their uh, annual garden fair that will be going on till 2 this afternoon. We'll bring John Perry back into the conversation here in a minute. I do want to get Brad on the line in Bountiful, though, while we have some time. Brad, welcome on to the Greenhouse. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I have... Uh, some plants that I purchased at a local nursery, and I've got the mic stuff that you put on them. I'm just curious how much water it says water until established. What does that mean? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, it's them covering themselves just enough to not be liable and give you no information. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> how long ago did you plant? Uh, I haven't planted them yet. Okay. Uh, just start going to do it today. Okay. So it, your soil, I'm assuming, are you on the bench or a little bit lower down? Low. It's clay. Okay. So what you'll do is plant those plants that you have and then water them in. And tomorrow you may not need to water, but you'll generally water those lightly the first couple of weeks, just maybe four or five times a week. I'm not talking drowning them, but they don't... Right. They can't dry out because the root systems are limited. But after a few weeks, they'll start to send roots into the soil, and you start tapering that back. But the first year they're in the ground, you will need to water them in a clay soil probably two to three times a week. But what you're going to do if you're putting mulch over the top is slide that mulch aside and if the ground is moist, especially toward the bottom of the root balls, hold off another day and then check it again. And when, the, especially the root balls start to dry out a bit, then you'll go ahead and water again. Okay. All right. And um, while I have you, you talked about lilacs. I have the, those small ornamental lilac bushes. You know, they have a little, looks like a little dead pointer coming out at the ends. Do you trim that off? What, what do you... Any dead plant material on those um, shrubs, so the dead branches, you can just clip those off. The dead isn't doing it any good. Right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I just didn't want to drown them or not water them enough, so I appreciate the hint. It's a good question, uh, particularly when you're making that investment up front. So uh, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. That's going to clear a line at 801-575-8255. John Perry's back with us, the assistant, assistant general manager here at uh, Weber Basin. Scott was on with us to start uh, the, the show today, the general manager, and he was telling us this might be the biggest gathering of uh, vendors that you've ever had. I, I think we're well on our way. Yes, that's, that's we'll have to sit back and look at the final numbers, but uh, 
certainly in the last four or five years, this is probably the largest group we've had. And for you, uh, Tom, you know, that are, are in the business every day of teaching people and helping people learn uh, through this process, this is a golden opportunity to be face-to-face with people that can help you with all kinds of things. It really is. You know, just the number, not just the vendors, but they have tours about the gardens. You can become more familiar with things. And, you know, even with people with established landscapes, you know, your landscape gets tired every 10 or 15 years. Shrubs get too big, grass dies out, whatever it is. And even if you're doing a small flower bed, you know, this is a great resource. It is absolutely free. And every plant in the gardens here are readily available from local garden centers. Yeah. And that's really uh, something is uh, people, I think, and I was guilty of this before I took a landscaping class a lot of years ago, thinking, well, there's a blue flower and a yellow flower, or there's turf grass, or there's turf grass. There are so many different uh, varieties and things and colors and schemes that you can do in your yard. It's fun. It absolutely is, and, and I'm glad you got that up. We've got all sorts of, you know, in, in addition to the garden fair that we do annually, we offer dozens of free classes on landscape design and irrigation design and things like that to teach exactly what you've said. There are a lot of different plants with a lot of different characteristics that you can incorporate in your yard and have a really uh, attractive landscape. And by the way, it's not always just about plants. It's hardscape areas. It's use areas. If you've got a dog that, you know, ruins your turf anyway, you, you in your landscape planton, you make that area out so the dog can have his space and not you ruin do. everything else. You do. And, you know, mentioning these classes you have online, I went through these on Thursday, and there was stuff going on all summer long, and it's all free. And so even if you're just a garden hobbyist and want to learn about plants, such an incredible resource that you can come take these classes. Absolutely. Our staff spent a lot of time. They've got a lot of great education and experience, and so come take advantage of it. Yeah. It's going to be going on here until 2 this afternoon. Lots of free food and fun for the whole family. Uh, we weren't kidding when they said that we said there was a magician that was going to be performing. That's coming up in just a few minutes, and they'll do it again at 11 o'clock this morning. Let me just ask. We have one minute here. Let me see if we can take care of this text. Uh, it said, I would like your opinion on using burlap or paper instead of weed fabric both of those will decompose which is fine because after a couple of years that weed fabric it seeds on top of it and you get weeds in it and so if you're using burlap just use burlap that is not treated with a fungicide a lot a lot of the tree burlaps are treated with copper fungicides and they're green color yeah. but just use burlap that isn't treated that's the normal brown all right so just like that hour number one of the greenhouse behind us hour number two right after we get you news at the top of the hour Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.